I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Hi, and welcome to our 2020 Highlight Reel, an episode that we're dedicating to the year that never was. The longest, shortest, weirdest, most surreal 12 months in our recent history is about to come to an end. And we wanted to mark this occasion by offering up some plays that we feel speak to this unique moment in time. And Chris and I are connecting to bring you this episode in the same way we've been meeting to record most shows this year, over Zoom. I'm in my home studio slash bedroom, and Chris is in his home studio slash basement. Hey, Laura. Hey, Chris. Yeah, it has been quite a year for digital theatre. Never did we think back in 2016 when we started Play Me that in just a few short years, audio drama would, well, it would be really one of the only few ways audiences could experience theatre. But even though we're used to presenting plays in a digital format, it still has been a huge shift for us to record remotely outside of the CBC studio. I remember back in March, the first recording we had to cancel was Take the Milk Na by Jiv Parashram. His production at Theatre Pasmarai in Toronto was suddenly cancelled due to COVID-19, and we quickly realized it wouldn't be safe for us to get together in the studio. So, Jiv flew back home to Vancouver, and it seemed like it would be some time before we'd be able to record his play. But we and CBC Podcasts and everyone quickly learned how to work differently. We hatched a plan to record remotely. We've been sending microphones to actors across the country ever since. Luckily, Jiv was quite skilled in recording, and we linked up with him in Vancouver and us in Toronto, and we did our first online recording session. And we were really impressed with how it sounded. It actually was hard to tell that he recorded it in his living room and not actually in the studio. We realized that we didn't have to be in the studio in order to record shows, and we quickly came up with a plan to record even more shows that were disrupted by theatres having to close. Together with CBC Podcasts, we created a new series called The Show Must Go On. We wanted to share some of Jiv's funny and moving play that explores identity. It seemed appropriate, since we are in this unexpected moment of reflection. This is a clip from Jiv Parashram's Take the Milk Na. And a bit of a warning, some of the language is a bit strong and may not be suitable for all audiences. It'd be nice if it ended there, right? Nice Hindu boy goes back to Trinidad and finds his identity. I mean, that's nice. Digestible. All you had to do was sit there and passively take in my culture. But we did all agree to make history to make an Indo-Caribbean Hindu-Canadian identity play. So, uh, we're not done yet. Reincarnation, man, we just keep coming back. Here's the thing. 
A Hindu can't do an identity play, because identity is a Hindon't. Identity means that there's an identifiable divide between things, where one thing ends and another begins. And see, Hinduism teaches that these divisions are an illusion, what we call Maya. That this whole existence itself is just a dream of the great cosmic consciousness. Identity is an illusion. And so this play, this whole play, this whole genre of plays, in a manner of speaking, has been about nothing. nothing. Because for Hindus, true identity is... It's just a field. a field. And we strive to look at that field and see a blade of grass and think, I am that blade of grass. And what's in the field? A cow. And the cow is the blade of grass. And you are the cow. Because we are all the field. And identity just divides that field. Property. That colonial concept. Property. Identity is just property. Yours and mine. And identity plays are just there to map it. Secure the borders. You come here to see an identity play? You come here to listen to me recolonize my thinking, to partition it off to you in a digestible way so you too can feel assured of what the borders are between me and you. I mean, in fairness, that's how it was marketed. So like, our bad too. Because I can't do that. I won't do that. I won't draw those borders. Identity is a Hindu because identity is an illusion. That is a core belief I hold as a Hindu. But in order to maintain that belief, I need to hold on to my identity. But part of my belief says that identity is an illusion. So by that definition, I also believe that I shouldn't hold on to my identity. But if I don't hold on to my identity, I would just get sucked into the mainstream belief system which doesn't recognize that identity is in fact just an illusion. So I need to identify myself, to identify identity as being an illusion. But identity is an illusion. And that is a hindon't. But I want to be a Hindu. Because all I know is that we strive to look at a field and just chill. So for the rest of this show, you can enter my mind. That's what we're going to do. You can enter my mind and chill the fuck out. 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 This is what you wanted. Oh, you did come to take the milk? I want to go take the milk. Do you feel cultured? Have you consumed enough of my culture? Do you like my diaspora? Do you want to touch it? Too bad you can't. It's intangible. Fucking George Harrison and shit. Ravi Shankar. Sai Baba. Hare Krishna. Amitabha Bachan Zindabad. You want to report back to your yoga class that you came and felt enlightened? Take the fucking milk. Jai Shiva Shakti, Om Namah Shivai. Every step, every line of the sand you draw to say that I am not you will be destroyed. All will fall to ash. Take the blasted milk. That was from Jiv Parashram's Take to Milkna.
I think one of the most profound shows that we presented in 2020 is Secret Life of a Mother by the Slum Collective. I recall this play was on at Crows in Toronto in February for its second run and I was bummed that I didn't get to see it because I was sick. Chris and I were thrilled that the creators agreed to let us record it remotely for our special The Show Must Go On season. I have a distinct memory of hearing Mev Beattie performing the birth scene through my computer on my dining room table. It was strangely intimate and moving. My husband could hear the whole thing from the kitchen and was drawn into the story and wanted to know, did everything work out okay? And since it's no secret that many moms have borne the brunt of balancing work, childcare, and online school during the pandemic, we wanted to honor the mothers of 2020 by playing a clip from this gorgeous show. This is Secret Life of a Mother by the Slum Collective. There is a version of birth on TV and in movies that we're familiar with. It's how sex used to be shown. A kiss, and then a kiss with some tongue, and then a pan up a tree in blossom. Labor is usually a montage sequence. A woman pushes, her face is sweaty, and then there's a baby in her arms, and she's looking worn out but fulfilled. And the sheets are blue or white, and the baby is usually between one and three months old. I know this because I work in TV, and I know a little about what babies are available to be cast. I'd been trying to finish an episode of a TV show I was writing before the baby came, and so I'd gone to bed at 2 a.m. When I woke up around 4 a.m., the pain felt a lot like what I'd been feeling the last few days, like a pressure on my cervix. So I went into the spare room, and I watched Netflix and I was halfway through an episode of The Good Wife when the pain got bad. So I kept watching the episode, as in what is going to happen with Alicia and her husband, who fucks hookers, but he's nice to her now. And then at some point, the pain was so bad, I couldn't lie still, and I finally clued in that I was nine months pregnant, five days past my due date. I've heard of this happening before, A woman I know googled, 40 weeks pregnant, water coming out of vagina. So, the first thing I did was, I wrote an email to my bosses, the showrunners, so that I could send them the episode of TV that I was writing, and so I opened up the episode doc, and I edited it for a while uh, yeah, well, I was having contractions. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Then I woke up Christian. Christian's response was, I'm too tired for it to be happening. <laughs> Which was him being funny. But he did go back to sleep, and I did lie beside him in pretty bad pain for a while, being polite about it. Ahead of my labor, Christian and Amy, my doula, asked me what I was scared of. I wasn't scared of the labor pain being bad, because I'd had a car accident that had knocked out six of my front teeth, and I'd spent several years having surgeries to reconstruct my mouth and also I was hit by a car and that hurt but I was afraid 
of what the pain would make me do. I was scared of what was at the bottom of my psyche that I might let go of when the pain was bad. I was scared the pain would shortcut me to my true self and that I would find out I was actually a bad person. That was Secret Life of a Mother by the Slom Collective. We'll be right back. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. One of my favorite shows on Play Me was actually inspired and written during COVID-19. It was one of our seven plays that formed our second COVID-responsive series, The Quarantine Chronicles. Don't Get Me Started by Mark Crawford is a hilarious and absurd look into the early pandemic habits of baking bread as a means for coping with so much change. The making of the show was as bizarre as the play itself. Now, often when recording remotely, we have to expect the unexpected. You know, computers overheating, internet going down, cats meowing, neighbors renovating, helicopters going above. But for this show, a tornado warning disrupted our session. And one of our performers had to abandon her mic and race downstairs to her basement until the storm passed. And it just all seemed so fitting for such a surreal show about a man who falls for his sourdough starter. This is from Don't Get Me Started by Mark Crawford. And remember that name, because we'll have a related announcement in the new year. Good morning. You're still here. You didn't think I'd leave before you achieve your loaf goal. <laughs> Are we alone? Yeah, uh, Mel just went to work. Now, can you tell me what the hell is going on here? What do you mean? Who are you? What are you? Well, I'm a sourdough starter. No, I know that. Uh, what I mean is... Don't interrupt. I... So, sorry. I grew up just around the corner, but I'm a real mutt. A bit of starter from a local pizza joint, some crust of an old French bread... I lived on some very bougie organic flour for a while in there. And a whole lot of municipal fucking tap water, if you can believe it. But mostly, the thing that gives me life is the wild, wild yeast from the very air you breathe. You want to give me a name? What? A lot of people give their starter a name. Um... I was thinking something fun, you know? Something cute, like... Freddy Boop. Or, no, no, maybe something hip. Like, Sour Dizzle. 
SD Stata. Oh, uh, I don't think that's appropriate. Oh, God. You're one of those. You got any ideas? Um, I I don't know. Uh, maybe... Krusty? Krusty? Sorry, no, um... Uh, I want something classy. Something elegant. What about... <gasps> what about... Yeastina? Yeastina? Isn't that pretty? Uh... It's pretty! Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Yeastina. That's, that's mm, beautiful. Thank you. So, what time is it, Mr. Jaff? Uh, 9.36. No, dipshit. It's bread time! Let's get started! First, the float test to make sure you're ready. Water, olive oil, and half a cup of starter. Call me by my name. Half a cup of yeastina. Thank you. Flour, salt, mix, and now... You need me. Um... Say it. Well, according to this recipe... Say it. I, uh, need you. Oh, yeah. Ooh, and now we leave you to rise. Oh, peekaboo. Well, look who's all blown up. Sweet. Oh, yeah, big boy. Shape that loaf. And now we put it on this tray. See you in an hour. Now, cut that loaf. Slash it. Mark it up. Uh, I, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. Just do it, man. That was from Mark Crawford's Don't Get Me Started. Our next 2020 highlight is from the moving play The Boy in the Moon by Emile Scher, adapted from Ian Brown's best-selling memoir about raising his son Walker, who was born with a rare genetic mutation. The pandemic makes this piece all the more powerful, particularly given that Ian Brown has been very candid in his recent Globe articles about how his son, who lives in a group home, has been forced to live under lockdown to keep vulnerable residents safe from COVID-19. It's a poignant reminder of how particularly stressful this time has been for those with loved ones living in healthcare facilities. Here is a clip from The Boy in the Moon from Emile Scher, adapted from Ian Brown's award-winning book. But with Walker, everything is complicated. Because of his syndrome, he can't eat solid food by mouth. He takes in formula through the night via a uh, um, feeding system. The formula runs along a line from a feed bag and a pump on an IV stand through a hole in Walker's sleeper and into a, a thing, a, a permanent valve in his belly, sometimes known as a Mickey. To take him out of bed and down to the kitchen to prepare the bottle that will ease him back to sleep, I have to disconnect the line from the Mickey. To do this, I first have to turn off the pump in the dark so he doesn't wake up completely. And 
close the feed line. If I don't clamp the line, the, the, the stuff, the sticky formula pours out onto the bed and I have to change the sheets or the floor. The floor in Walker's room, the carpet in his room is pale blue. There are patches that feel like the Gobi Desert under my feet from all the times I've forgotten. To crimp the tube, I thumb a tiny red plastic roller down a slide. That's my favorite part of the routine. One thing, at least, is easy, under my control. I unzip his one-piece sleeper. Walker is small and grows so slowly he will wear the same sleepers for a year and a half at a time. Reach in, unlock the line from the Mickey, pull the line out through the hole in his sleeper and hang it on the IV stand. Close the Mickey, re-zip the sleeper. Then I reach in and lift all 45 pounds of Walker from the depths of his crib. He still sleeps in a crib. It's the only way we can keep him in bed at night. He can do a lot of damage on his own. But there is another complication here. Before I can slip downstairs with Walker for a bottle, the bloom of his diaper pillows up around me. He's not toilet trained. Without a new diaper, he won't fall back to sleep and stop smacking his head and ears. So we detour from the routine of the feeding tube to the routine of the diaper. I spin 180 degrees to the battered changing table, wondering, as I do every time, how this will work when he's 20 and I'm 60. The trick is to pin his arms to keep him from whacking himself, but how do you change a 45-pound boy's brimming diaper while immobilizing both his hands so he doesn't bang his head or reach down and scratch his backside, thereby smearing excrement everywhere? I hold his left hand with my left hand and tuck his right hand out of commission under my left armpit. I've done it so many times, it's like walking. I keep his heels out of the disaster zone by using my right elbow to stop his knees from bending and do all the actual nasty business with my right hand. My wife, Johanna, can't manage this alone anymore and sometimes calls me to help her. I am never charming when she does. And the change itself, a task to be approached with all the delicacy of a munitions expert in a Bond movie defusing an atomic device. The unfolding and positioning of the new diaper. The disbelief that it will ever hold. The immense, surging relief of finally refastening it. We made it! The world is safe again! The reinsertion of his legs into the sleeper. There are nights when nothing works. And nights when he's up and at it, laughing, playing, crawling all over me. I don't mind those nights, tired as I am. His sight is poor, but in the dark, we are equal. In the night, there can be stretches when he is no different from any other lively boy. Makes me almost cry to tell you that. Sometimes watching Walker is like looking at the moon. You see the face of the man in the moon, yet you know there is actually no man there. But if Walker is so insubstantial, why is he so important?
That was From the Boy and the Moon. Our final play for this 2020 episode is Raking Light by Jordan Tannehill. It was part of our Quarantine Chronicle series and is a stunning play that takes listeners into the walls of the Museo de Prado in Madrid. It reminds us that even when we're in the darkest of times, there is always a glimpse of beauty. It is a poignant reminder to focus on the light even when we're surrounded by darkness. And it's a moving homage to art and how it has sustained us in 2020. In this clip, Verity has been hired to restore Velasquez's famous Las Meninas painting, which was damaged in a fire. Here is a clip of Raking Light by Jordan Tannehill. A car came to fetch me in the evening and took me to the museum. I was tested for the virus and given a mask and a pair of latex gloves. I was then led by Antonia and two soldiers, along with the six other conservators, through the damaged galleries. I knew each of the conservators well. It's a small community. It was a strange reunion for all of us. I was particularly close with Lucia and Diego, who I'd worked with on many projects over the years. I was godmother to one of their daughters. And when Mateo still lived with me, the four of us used to have dinner once a week. Antonia led us to the cloister, one of the most beautiful rooms in the museum, where the worst affected paintings had been moved for restoration. When we arrived, we found three work tables in the center of the room laid with conservation tools and several smaller canvases, while arranged under work lamps on easels were the paintings deemed in most urgent need of attention. I felt like a doctor entering a triage unit. I could see the Velasquez arranged at the far end of the cloister. Two equestrian portraits were set up on easels for my colleagues, Paolo and Caridad. Two smaller portraits lay distressed under plastic on the adjacent work table, along with several minor works by Mario, Ribera, and Soroya. And finally, completing the Velasquez group was Las Meninas. I was trembling. Ludicrous, I know. Trembling in front of a painting. Well, I was. I had, of course, encountered Las Meninas more times than I could count, but never had I touched it, altered it, entered it. The damage was extensive, mostly from smoke. I found myself checking that all the figures were where they should be in the painting, as if I was somehow worried one might have fallen during the fire or fled the scene in fear. But no, they were all there in their silent, suspended poses. The Infanta, her ladies-in-waiting, the dwarf, the boy, the dog, Velasquez. I heard Mateo's voice in my head. I never quite knew how to look at this painting. For one thing, it, it is impossible to take in all the figures at the same time. No matter where you stand or how you look at it, you just can't. The canvas is too big. And then also each figure has a, has a totally specific facial expression that demands its own scrutiny. And the faces are all positioned at different angles. 
You see, there are just so many vectors of focus, so many frames and portals and planes of action. Your eye is led from light to darkness, from silver to shadow, from foreground to background. What up close appears to be just, just random strokes and dashes becomes, a few steps back, absolutely lifelike. So as hard as you try, you can never truly see this painting all in one go. You have to travel through it. That was from Raking Light. That is our 2020 Highlight Reel. It's been a busy year for us at Playme, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to all the plays we featured this year. A reminder, if you haven't already checked out the Quarantine Chronicles, now is the perfect time to tuck into these bedtime stories for bizarre times. The Globe and Mail just named the series one of their top arts picks for 2020. And you can also find lots of other great thrillers, dramas, and comedies on our feed. And we'll be back in January with a whole new season of plays by award-winning playwrights. We wish you all the best of the season. Here's to a happy and healthy 2021. Stay well. We'd love to know what you think about Play Me. You can email us at playme at cbc.ca. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Theater or Instagram at Podcast. And if you haven't already, please consider rating and reviewing us. It helps us get our podcast out to more listeners. Special thanks to our CBC producers, Fabiola Melendez-Carletti, Cecil Fernandez, and Tanya Springer. The executive producer of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani. The senior director of audio innovation is Leslie Merklinger. Play Me's associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is produced by Expect Theatre in partnership with CBC Podcasts. For more information on our plays and artists, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.